Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and we're going to call it crazy, but there's a lot of different dimensions to our third story today. Uh, Jim, it's not often that we get election results in February outside of a presidential primary season, so I guess maybe this is good practice for next year. But uh, we had our big jungle primary in Chicago yesterday for mayor and the top two vote-getters advance to the runoff and the next mayor of Chicago. And the good news is, is that Lori Lightfoot has been bounced by the people of Chicago. Uh, The results are still trickling in, mail ballots and and that sort of thing. But as of right now, uh, Lori Lightfoot has gotten just over 17% of the vote, which means nearly 83% of Chicago voters have told her she's done a terrible job and she needs to leave. There's a reason people want her to leave. Uh, The New York Post captured it well. Lightfoot campaigned for mayor in 2019 by arguing crime was too high, saying she wanted to make Chicago the safest big city in the country. But homicides, mostly from gun violence, spiked dramatically in 2020 and 2021, from 500 murders in 2019 to 776 and 804 in the next two years, respectively. Shootings and carjackings also skyrocketed. Violent crime in the city spiked by 40% since she promised during her inaugural address to end the epidemic of gun violence. But it's not just the murders. Uh, No, Uh, in terms of theft, more than 20,000 cases of theft in 2022, nearly double the amount of the year before. And in the first three weeks of this year, crime rates were up 61% compared to last year. So, Jim... There's not a lot of optimism that the next mayor is going to be great, but the Chicago people know failure when they see it, and Lori Lightfoot's been a failure. Yeah, I mean, another way of putting it is 83% of Democrats in the Democratic primary said, we don't want any more of this, which is probably about as devastating a response from the electorate as you can possibly get. My colleague Jeff Blahar actually lives out in Chicago. And when I had first written about this, he's like, look, there are no good guys in Chicago politics. There are only varying degrees of bad. And he's not thrilled uh, or less you know, satisfied than I would have expected. He characterizes the remaining choice between Vallis as a mainstream liberal Democrat. I mean, not somebody he really agrees with in general. But he says Johnson is someone who's, quote, a guy whose politics, promises and affiliations threaten to turn Chicago into Portland on the Great Lakes. And he says, given the politics of the city, it is frighteningly possible the voters will choose Johnson in April. So if you're on the right side of the spectrum, you're you're really pulling for Vallis as the, you know, more rightward choice, which is really stretching the definition of rightward. Um, And I think there's a bunch of people who would say, no, you really can't say that this guy is going to turn Chicago into Portland on the Great Lakes because Portland doesn't have as many murders. Some people might argue that at least in crime, it's not quite as bad, although they do have Antifa burning the place to the ground on a regular basis. So yeah, I get that it's not good. I do think the defeat of Lightfoot is a particularly useful illustration that modern progressive management of big cities like Chicago has failed. Eric Adams is off to a rough start in New York. I don't think we've seen great things from Muriel Bowser in Washington, DC, although I give her credit for calling for federal workers to come back into the workplace. You can see in city after city, this sense that The current status quo has failed, 
the unfortunate problem is there are still some people in these cities who think, well, the problem is we just haven't been left wing enough. And they're willing to try even harder, even though their cities are more and more starting to look like the sets from The Last of Us. Well, of course, you got the crime situation, which I think is the overarching issue here. You've also got the failing schools. We've talked about uh, the situation where police were told not to chase suspects unless it was a violent felony, like a murder or a, a rape or something like that. And so you know, you wonder why the, the, the numbers skyrocket. But that's not the real reason she lost, Jim. That's not the real reason. In a New Yorker piece that ran on Saturday, she was asked uh, whether her race and, and gender were an issue. She says, I'm a black woman. Let's not forget certain folks, frankly, don't support us in leadership roles, which is an amazing statement for Chicago, Jim, since four years ago, she got 73.7% of the vote. So a lot of people turned racist in four years. Weird. Yeah. I, look, that is, you know, we've seen it in the alternating perception of Georgia. Uh, we've seen it in every jurisdiction, and it is a really shameless and, you know, unforgivably divisive and false bit of, of blame throwing from minority candidates when they decide that the electorate that elected them a few years ago suddenly turned racist overnight. No, it's not, Mayor Lightfoot. It's because you did a really lousy job. It's pretty simple. You got fired. Deal with it. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now, and uh, there's a... Brewing debate on the right. I think it's intensifying, it's safe to say, uh, not only in Congress, but just in the public in general, about what the proper approach of the United States ought to be towards Ukraine. I take a, a bit of a moderate approach. I think you have to support Ukraine uh, in uh, defense of a obvious Russian aggression, which has been building over the years. And now it is a full-blown war that, that Putin launched uh, about this time last year. And of course, if he gets past Ukraine, uh, then there's other areas that I'm sure he would like to reconstitute into the Soviet Union. Others say, no, this is uh, going to lead to a larger conflict in and of itself by the fact that we're so overtly aiding Ukraine in terms of tens of billions of dollars and the machinery now that includes or will include tanks. And now Zelensky's asking for F-16s. But one of the people arguing most vociferously against uh, aid for the Ukrainians is Tucker Carlson. And the question is, is even though he's one of the most popular hosts, if not the most popular host on cable news is, given the still relatively limited audience, just how much influence does he have? And in particular, on the people who are going to be making these decisions, namely Congress. I'm guessing his influence on the Biden administration is relatively limited. But uh, Alan Riskind, who for uh, decades has been affiliated with uh, Human Events and is a former Capitol Hill editor there, recently wrote an opinion piece in Newsmax really calling out Tucker Carlson for constantly really defending uh, Putin as opposed to NATO and Ukraine. As he says, as Tucker would have it, we are hurtling toward a nuclear war with Russia because of such provocative assistance, money we could use to fight fentanyl, control the border, or reduce the deficit. He portrays Putin not as a dangerously aggressive dictator whose brutal actions could plunge the U.S. and Europe into a tragic, cataclysmic conflict, but as a regional bully who is using force to rectify a few Russian border problems with a corrupt and undemocratic regime. He has also painted NATO as a provocative relic of the Cold War that needlessly distresses Putin rather than the most successful alliance against Soviet imperialism produced in the Western world. And so, Jim, like I said, there's a lot of different places to land here on this spectrum. Mine tends to be 
yes, help them, but with some accountability, given Ukraine's very recent history of rampant corruption. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we've got some pretty loud voices saying that we shouldn't be involved in this at all. So what do you make of Tucker Carlson, especially on this issue? And what influence do you think he's having? Well, my first thought, you know, when people thought, ask how influential is Tucker Carlson? Mm-hmm. By the standards of cable news hosts, uh, Tucker Carlson is enormously influential. His audience is huge, um, particularly compared to other networks and other times of day. But I, I remember a friend of making the observation back when Sean Hannity was at the eight o'clock hour uh, that you could take any number of Fox News hosts. And the person at 8 o'clock would have the highest ratings. The person at 9 o'clock would have the next highest ratings. And the person at 10 o'clock would have the third highest ratings. And that was not because of the quality of the hosts or the topics that are discussed, but because Fox News viewers tend to go to sleep. <laughs> the later you go, the more the audience is going to shrink over it. And in fact, the, you know, the fact that you know Hannity is now later in the evening and has lower ratings than when he was at 8 p.m., I think validates that assessment. So... In terms of the broadcast reach, Tucker Carlson has arguably some of the most valuable real estate in the world of cable news and maybe in the entire realm of mass media. Uh, so by that sense, yes, he is an influential. The other thing is, I, you know, when we talked about this as a potential topic, I, I, I suddenly dawned on me that it was not that long ago that Tucker Carlson had his infamous interview with Kanye West. This was October 2022. And Tucker Carlson went out there and, you know, basically just slammed the idea that Kanye West was crazy. Uh, I'm looking at the transcript right now. Is West crazy? You can judge for yourself as you watch what we're about to show you. He was not crazy. That's not our conclusion. In fact, we've rarely heard a man speak so honestly and so movingly about what he believes. But again, you can judge for yourself. Well, the first problem is that apparently Kanye West ranted about the Jews and said all kinds of stuff, and they left that stuff on the cutting room floor. Tucker's show did not broadcast that. That, in my mind, is the producers and, and Tucker saying, well, he seems really sane once we cut out all the crazy stuff, which is, in fact, in my mind, lying to your audience. There's also been this lawsuit against Fox News by Dominion. I think Carlson deserves a little bit of credit. He did have that very skeptical and combative interview with Sidney Powell. Uh, and Sidney Powell, on, you know, on a, through a crazed hissy fit, as you'd probably expect. But this is not the first time we've had this with Tucker Carlson. And I think the subsequent actions of Kanye West from the, you know, going on when he went on Alex Jones and insisted that Hitler was the good guy and Alex Jones found himself in the position of straight man. This is back when Kanye West was running around wearing that Cobra Commander mask. Yes, I think Kanye West is crazy. And I think Tucker Carlson did the world a disservice. And it really, you know, I think should have did significant damage to his own credibility or should have done significant damage to his own credibility when he went to his viewers and said, I don't think Kanye West is crazy. No, Kanye West is crazy. I don't really think that's all that disputable anymore. And I think this is something that should be come in mind when you evaluate Tucker Carlson and his arguments on other issues. On the issue of aid to Ukraine, Look, Greg, you and I have talked about this a bunch of times. Um, I am worried about the depletion of our stockpiles. I do worry, if, for example, if, you're, if your attitude is, I want to help Ukraine, but I just don't trust Joe Biden to execute this effectively. Brother, I hear you. I, I get that. That's you know, To paraphrase Donald Rumsfeld, you go to war with the president you have. Um, and there are a lot of times where I think Biden's decision making is erratic goes back and forth. I think Biden wants Ukraine to win, and he also just wants the war to end. And on any given day, whichever mood he's in, he can shift back and forth. 
I think that's why we keep hemming and hawing on a very whether it was the the assistance of the MIGs from the NATO allies that have it to the current argument about F-16s. In between, we debated Patriot missile batteries. We debated the M1A1 Abrams tanks. Oh, by the way, they're not coming for two years. Um, all of those factors, you got, there's a lot of legitimate criticism, I think, to be made of the Biden administration and how they've responded to the, the invasion of Ukraine. What I can't get, and Tucker Carlson really goes right up to the line, is how he goes into, well, you, whenever you portray Vladimir Putin as not the aggressor or the idea that Ukraine somehow provoked it or NATO somehow provoked it, no, they're just sitting there. They're just living their lives. And it was the Russian army and the Russian air force that came cruising over the border and attacking innocent civilians. And that's where I'm kind of like, where, where are you going with it? You know, like Tucker Carlson, I think, just thinks that this is um, there are a lot of Americans who are feeling isolationist, who are exhausted from Iraq and Afghanistan and who don't want to support any additional war. Well, this isn't really a direct war involving U.S. troops. The day it comes where somebody says, yes, we should send U.S. troops. OK, I think we should do that. I will probably argue against that. You had Adam Kinzinger and a bunch of folks arguing the U.S. should be enforcing a no-fly zone. Well, at that point, U.S. pilots are trying to shoot down Russian pilots, and I think we're in a whole different ball of wax there. Um, so I don't think that I think that you know if we are going to go to war with Russia, which I don't think is a good idea, they've got nukes, we've got nukes. It's not crazy to be warned about this. Joe Biden at a Democratic fundraiser just started rambling that we were closer to Armageddon than ever before. And then he stopped talking about it, which I think was an indication of just, you know, the state of Joe Biden. Again, if any of that makes you nervous, I get it. But I think the argument that Tucker Carlson has, you know, led the conservative movement in the wrong direction, not by you know, doubting it, not by saying, well, you know, let's be careful here, but by basically demonizing NATO. De Look, I'm not saying Vladimir Zelensky is, uh, is, is a perfect. Look, there's no getting around the fact that Ukraine had corruption issues before the war. And it would not surprise me if Ukraine still has corruption issues. But you know what? Do you know what tends to get in the way of ongoing corruption schemes? A whole bunch of Russians trying to kill you. I've heard a lot of people saying, well, how do we know that the weapons we're giving to Ukraine aren't going to end up on the black market or something? OK, that's that's not a crazy fear. But the Ukrainians are being shot at right now. They kind of need all that stuff to shoot back at the Russians. So um, should this stuff be tracked? Should we have, you know, people monitoring? Yes, those are very, those are legitimate concerns. But I think right now. The entire Ukrainian army isn't interested. Ooh, how can we sell these weapons for a profit? It's like, hey, let's get those Russians who are over the, on the other side of the battlefield. So, um, I, I, you know, again, Tucker Carlson. It's it's been odd to watch the transformation of him. First of all, he used to write for the Weekly Standard. He was a brilliant writer, fantastic interviewer. He got into the world of television and apparently has lost interest in that. And oh, by the way, you know, what, his editor at that point was Bill Kristol, and you know, I've, I've, they've gone back and forth a bunch of times. And I kind of wonder. If they ever ran into each other at a bar, how that conversation would go. <laughs> it would be loud. I'm pretty sure it would be loud. Yeah. But I've never been huge fans of either one of them, to put it very mildly. So to watch them <laughs> kind of go at each other, <laughs> hammer and tong now at various times, has been uh, a tremendous, tremendous episode of schadenfreude for me. But you're right. I mean, Tucker Carlson, when he was the bow tied wearing guy on Crossfire and he was on MSNBC for a while, he really came across as a moderate Republican, which nauseated me because I thought he was a total squish. But he was certainly no populist at that time. You know, he gets the Fox job when O'Reilly gets forced out. And, you know, he turns into what I think he thought he needed to be in the era of Trump. So whether he's mm. changed that much in 15 years or 20 years or whatever it's been since he was uh, at some of those previous cable gigs, 
I don't know. It's possible. But uh, if you listen to the commentary between the two, not a lot of consistency there. But uh, nonetheless, we'll see how much uh, influence he's having, uh, especially on Capitol Hill, where I guess it matters most. All right, Jim, on to our second great sponsor for the day, and that is ExpressVPN. Look, you don't need people looking over your shoulder every time you're trying to do something on, online, and your internet search provider is constantly doing this stuff. Not only are they putting up like sidebar ads every time you're searching for a gift or looking for a plumber or something like that, they're usually selling your data too. And so you, know, you think you go into the, the secret mode or whatever on your browser, that doesn't work either. So if you really want to protect your online activity, use ExpressVPN. Your home internet provider can also see and record your browsing data. And in the United States, they're legally allowed to sell that data to advertisers. ExpressVPN is an app that encrypts all of your network data and reroutes it through a network of secure servers so that your private online activity stays just that, private. ExpressVPN works on all your devices and is super easy to use. And it literally has one button. You tap it to connect and your browsing activity is secure from all of those prying eyes. So stop letting strangers invade your online privacy. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash martini. Use our link at expressvpn.com slash martini to get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash martini to learn more. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And I think there's good, I think there's bad. There's a lot of different developments in this story. This is from Politico. Republicans on the House Foreign Affairs Committee forced through a bill that could effectively ban TikTok from all mobile devices in the United States, despite united opposition from Democrats, a rare breakdown of congressional bipartisanship on the alleged threat posed by Chinese tech. At issue was uh, the Data Act, which is the legislation from, again, Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall of Texas. Uh, the vote was 24 to 16, all Democrats voting no. McCall says, everybody knows what TikTok is. It's too dangerous to be on our phones as members of Congress. In my judgment, it's too dangerous to be on our children's phones. That's the whole point of this bill. Uh, Gregory Meeks, though, is uh, the top Democrat on the committee. He says he wants to have more conversation and dialogue on this. He wants Sifius uh, from the Treasury Department to weigh on this. As well, So, Jim, I think we were all supportive of the move last year to ban TikTok from government phones, given the fact that it's basically Chinese spyware. I think if you were talking to other parents, you'd say, absolutely not. Don't let that on your kids' phones. Don't let that on your own phones. It's Chinese spyware. And so it's a terrible idea. The question is whether you should be allowed to pursue a terrible idea. So should Congress be able to tell everybody else that they can't have TikTok on their phone? Uh, or is it such a threat to U.S. national security that it is the right move? Yeah, and this is one of those areas where you might expect some conservatives to say, well, wait a second, we believe in the First Amendment, we believe in people's freedom, even if we think this app is absolutely terrible for people, uh, they should be free to make that choice, even if it's terrible for people, it's free to drink, you know, compare it to other vices and things like that. There are two aspects to this. The first is the Wall Street Journal did this fascinating report back in, I'm going to say September 2021 or so. The headline is how TikTok serves up sex and drug videos to minors. And one of the, they basically set it up as, you know, an account for someone who was uh, registered as some under the age of 18. And unsurprisingly, not by clicking anything in particular, more and more of their feed had violent and sexual stuff, drug use and things like that are just simply not appropriate. You just would not want teenagers looking at them. You know, it's one thing if you go into a social media app 
and you go looking for things that are of a more adult nature, I think we could all agree that, you know, if you go for that, then that's one thing. But the idea that this was kind of being slowly and insidiously kind of fed into your feed because people knew it was extremely, uh, uh, you know, people were going to react to it. Uh, actually, the Wall, the Wall Street Journal registered as users aged 13 to 15. Right? One account registered as a 13-year-old saw at least 569 videos about drug use, references to cocaine and meth addiction, as well as promotional videos for online sales of drug products and paraphernalia. Uh, the journal's teenage users found more than 100 videos from accounts recommending paid pornography sites and sex shops. Thousands of others were from creators who labeled their content for adults only. So for the, there may be TikTok you know, creators who are like, I make adult entertainment, and but I do this so you know, I, I market as that. None of my viewers should be under 18. Well, it's clearly not working. So there's that angle. But then the second one is that basically everything on TikTok, your your phone just vacuums up data from your phone and sends it over to a company that is basically an extension of Chinese intelligence. And we've seen these claims and these arguments for many years. The TikTok companies, oh, that's not the case. And of course, more and more evidence keeps piling up. And so now we kind of have this question of, all right, we, the public has been informed that this is spyware that is basically sending off all kinds of stuff. And oh, by the way, it's giving, you know, sending teens to drugs, pornography, and all kinds of utterly inappropriate uh, material. What do you, the, the algorithm for whatever it's actually designed to do, keeps sending kids in this direction. All right. Do we want to continue allowing it? Is a fair and open question. And I think because the public has now been informed and the public has said, no, I really love these viral videos about these dances I can do. Or look at what my cat can do. Or, I don't know, maybe some people start to enjoy the drugs and the sex and all that kind of stuff. There's a part of me that would love to see the government say, yeah, you know what? No, you can't do this anymore. Bloop, and pull the plug. I would love to see that. And it's not just because, according to sources within the Garrity household, apparently a whole bunch of teenagers here in Northern Virginia are on TikTok. They see absolutely nothing wrong with it. They see it's absolutely fine. They have heard the arguments about it being Chinese spyware. They have heard about the arguments about it leading to inappropriate material. And they shrug it off and say, ah, I don't see it and it's fine. Let's just say I'm not sure I believe those teens. <laughs> Let's just say I have the you know, teenagers. I know it's going to shock you. Have a tendency to not be honest about things. Really? So I, I just have to say, you know what? Maybe if the federal government came along and said, you know what? No, you can't have that. That's a good idea. Um, I, I kind of wouldn't mind seeing that. And I kind of do feel like it's one thing, like, you know, oh, should um, they used to have the argument about uh, Playboy and other adult material in convenience stores. And they created those little plastic things where we cover up most of the, the cover. And so you just see the headline of Playboy or whatever it was. And that seemed like an appropriate compromise, an appropriate sense of, okay, you know, it's there. If you want to buy it, you can find it. But we're not going to have, you know, Miss Hoo-Ha of January, uh, you know, showing off her whole body there. This is one of those things where it's just basically much more insidious. Look, this is all ties back to a hostile foreign regime that has made clear the genocide of the Uyghurs, the crackdown in Hong Kong. It is against us in every single possible way. So why are we helping them? Why are we allowing them to continue to run spyware on our phones? By golly, if Beijing wants to know what Americans are up to, let them use the spy balloons that they've decided are so popular these days. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fascinating to read this article. I mean, the Democrats know the problem here and that they're waiting for more data. So it's not doesn't seem to be a constitutional argument on their side that they're uncertain about. I think that's the last one that really needs to be resolved here because the threat posed by TikTok I think is uh, pretty pretty obvious here. According to the story in Politico, the Data Act would alter a portion of U.S. law known as the Berman Amendments, which allow for the free flow of informational material from hostile countries to provide what McCall called a constitutional framework 
that would let the president ban a foreign app. Uh, the bill would also require the president to impose sanctions on companies with ties to Chinese-owned apps that are reasonably believed to have facilitated or may be facilitating or contributing to a broad slate of nefarious activities by Beijing. So we will see. My guess is, Jim, like most things in Congress right now, it'll probably squeak through the House and uh, go nowhere in the Senate. But you never know. This this is an issue that has gotten bipartisan uh, support in the past. So we'll see. I was going to say, who wants to be the one to stand up and say, yes, TikTok should remain on Americans' phones? <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be the most popular position. Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Please tell some friends about us as well. We'd love to have them with us as well. Thank you also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please, please keep them coming. They're a big help to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Wednesday and join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.